0: Do you love comics movies video games and more we do too join me josh scar and my cast of colorful co-hosts on talking smack look for our yellow and red icon on apple Podcasts, spotify good pods and other podcast players try to run away from me so i hit him with my shoe again how far you gone? la not many people stop for a guy these days afraid of a stick-up maybe this buggy belongs to a guy named haskell that's not you mister now wait a Shut minute up. You're a cheap crook and you killed him. Never mind this. do take a card. Ah, uh, what am I doing the card? You can
1: keep it. I've got 51 left. <laughs> <laughs> the Cult Worthy Classic, a cinema podcast dedicated to obscure films and cult classics made before 1970. Your host, Antonio Palacios, will guide you weekly through a sea of hidden gems and obscure films that are destined for rediscovery. And so without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Antonio and this is the Cult Worthy Classic. Now today marks the very first episode of My Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese. Now I mentioned a few episodes ago that I was going to be doing an ongoing series of me going film by film through the BFI's documentary A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American Movies. This documentary that came out in 1995 was about five hours of Martin Scorsese going through all the films that inspired him to be the filmmaker that he is today. Silent films, musicals, action films, crime films. His taste in films covers the entire gambit of cinema history. And one of the things I wanted to do is go back and watch all of these films and see if I can recognize the moments in these movies that went on to inspire moments that he created in the cinema that we've been enjoying for years. So, the very first film on the list was 1952's The Bad and the Beautiful. Ah! Ah!
0: on in the private lives of the famous, the notorious. You will share the laughter and the tears of talented people who stop at nothing to attain success until success stops them, of romantic people who fight for love. Now
1: very rarely does a film that focuses on an unsavory character feel so engaging. Citizen Kane, Scarface, American Psycho, all these films featured an anti-hero if you will a character that we connect ourselves to as we follow them through their humble beginnings to their expected and sometimes deserved demise but this film rings a little bit different we attach ourselves to an anti-hero so to speak through the recollections of three individuals whose lives were changed by the actions of said character but more than anything it's the depravity and the degeneration of hollywood The town that made a picture like this possible that allows us to follow the anti-hero from point A to point B, leaving us hungry for more. Now the film, of course, is Vincent Minnelli's Hollywood expose, The Bad and the Beautiful, a cautionary tale of power and manipulation as told through the lives of three people that have been sucked into the system by the same man, Jonathan Shields, brilliantly portrayed by Kirk Douglas, he plays the son of a powerful film magnate who left nothing to his family after his death. Eager to not only match his father's success, but outdo it, we spend the film following the stories of a struggling director, an insecure actress with a tendency for self-destruction, and a now-famous writer who succumbs to Shields' charm and manipulation with promises of fame and success, only to find themselves at the end of their rope when Shields is done with them. Now, as they are called upon to help Shields in a new hour of need, we see flashbacks of each character's experience. Oddly though, if it wasn't for their disastrous relationship with Shields, they would have not found success after rising from the ashes. Beautifully shot in black and white, Minnelli plays with shadows and light as we go through the ups and downs of the characters in the story. The ironic and satirical representations of industry relationships between producers, directors, writers, and actors is not lost on the viewer, thanks to the brilliant script by Charles Schnee based on the novel Tribute to a Bad Man by George Bradshaw. With fantastic performances, moving music, And the whole concept of a film within a film, as later portrayed in classics like The Player and Day of the Locust, this is a must-see for any film enthusiast, especially of old Hollywood. Now, what did Scorsese have to say about this film?
0: A poet or a painter can be a loner, but the American film director has to be, first and foremost, a team player. Most important was the collaboration between the director and the producer. In The Bad and the Beautiful, possibly the best drama about Hollywood's creative battles, Kirk Douglas plays the producer what supposedly? and Barry Sullivan, the director. They both dream of making great films, but for their first project, they have been assigned a low-budget thriller called The Doom of the Cat Men. Look, put five men dressed like cats on the screen. What do they look like? Like five men dressed like cats. When an audience pays to see a picture like this, what do they pay for? To get the pants scared off him. And what scares the human race more than any other single thing?
1: The dark. Now, one of the things I found fascinating about the earlier story is the relationship between director Fred Amiel, played by Barry Sullivan, and Kirk Douglas's Shields. We see the early destructive nature of Shields as he loses all of his friends' money in a poker game as he's trying to increase funds for his studio. There is a very charming, almost brotherly like relationship between Fred Amiel and Jonathan Shields as they are making these films. The director-producer relationship is presented in such a way in this film, we really see the dynamic and the chemistry between these two characters, as they are given a B-movie about cat people to make. Now, the production is just an utter disaster at first, the costumes are terrible, they have no money, and they are very certain that this film will be the end of their careers. Until Shields comes up with the idea that you make a monster film and never show the monster. The film will be played in the shadows, in the dark. This is something that we've seen many times in the real Cat People movie that we still see in the films today, like Jaws and Alien. Keep the monster a secret. Keep the tension high. And because they do this, they find success when Cat People is released. It is the stepping stone that Emil needs to make his lifelong dream film with Shields. However, there is a betrayal that serves Kirk Douglas' character of Shields and leaves Emil in the dirt. This is just the first example of this cutthroat industry where as likable as Kirk Douglas' portrayal of Shields is, we see the real manipulative menace behind him. It is obvious, as Scorsese talks about this film, that he has dealt with this in many ways. Being a new Hollywood director, starting off with producers like Roger Corman, the expectations weren't very high. It was an opportunity for him to cut his teeth with meager means having to play the games of executives and moneymen, you see that he has resigned to the fact that this is just part of the business, and the real challenge is to find a way to get your creative voice on the screen while appeasing the people who are giving you the money.
0: Now, in the old days, you dealt with moguls and major studios. Today, you have executives and giant corporations instead. But one iron rule remains true. Every decision is shaped by the money men's perception of
1: what the audience wants.
0: I've told you a hundred times I don't want to win awards, give me pictures that end with a kiss and black ink in the
1: book. The real challenge is to get your creative process on screen, meanwhile keeping happy the people with the deep pockets. These two creative minds coming together to fight against the money man to get their art on the screen, only makes the betrayal more painful when it actually comes to fruition. Now, Scorsese doesn't really go into detail about the other two stories in the film, that being Lana Turner's turn as Georgia Lawrenson, or Dick Powell's turn as James Lee Bartlow. They all play on a similar theme where there is an exchange of love and respect and courtesy for financial gain by exploiting the talent. There definitely were vibrations through Hollywood, as some of these stories had relations to real-life personalities. Kirk Douglas's character of Jonathan Shields is said to be highly reflected to the life of David O. Selznick, also feeding in the ambitions of people like Orson Welles and Val Lewton. Val Lewton's film Cat People is clearly the inspiration for the Shields' Emil film Doom of the Cat Men as represented in the movie. Now, the character of Georgia Lorison, played by Lana Turner, is often thought to be a reflection of Diana Barrymore, daughter of the great actor John Barrymore. However, it has also been said that Vincent Minnelli's wife Judy Garland and her addiction to alcohol was also referenced in this character, being difficult on the set and succumbing to addictions due to childhood and teenage trauma in the industry. It is also said that the character of James Lee Bartlow was inspired by Paul Elliott Green, the screenwriter of the film Cabin in the Cotton with Betty Davis. So, with all the vibrations through Hollywood as this film comes out, kind of holding a reflective mirror against Hollywood itself, like I said, the film is a cautionary tale that Scorsese took very seriously. Now, if I was to go back and look at this film stylistically, to see where Scorsese saw moments that he would emulate in future projects. I would say a lot of it has to do with Vincent Minnelli's use of crane shots. Even in what seems like would be a very simple shot inside a house or a hotel room, Minnelli is a fan of moving the camera in and out, as if the camera is a character itself. Now, Scorsese often uses tracking shots and dolly shots and Cam. But these crane shots coming high to low into characters' faces is something that I would say Martin Scorsese definitely put into his little toolbox and is all the better for it. Now, the film was a massive success, winning several Oscars that year. Gloria Graham for Best Supporting Actress, Charles Sheen for Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Costume Design. It is definitely a film to be recognized. Now, there is a captivating scene later in the film... Where Jonathan Shields has an argument with a director that's supposedly based on Eric von Stronheim about the dimensions of the scene that the director is capturing. There is a disagreement between what the producer wants to see in the scene and what the director wants to see in the scene. Again, this is something very relevant to when he's talking about the director and producer dynamic, especially in the time of old Hollywood.
0: Well, you call that directing? That is what I've been calling it for 32 years. Why, there are values and dimensions in that scene you haven't begun to hit. Perhaps they are not the values and dimensions I wish to hit. I could make this scene a climax. I could make every scene in this picture a climax. If I did, I would be a bad director. And I like to think of myself as one of the best. A picture all climaxes is like a necklace without a string. It falls apart. Look, when I want a lecture on the aesthetics of motion pictures, I'll ask for it. And it won't be on my time, and it won't be a cover-up for a shallow and inept interpretation of a great scene. To be a director, you must have imagination. Whose imagination, Mr. Shields? Yours or mine? You know what you must do, Mr. Shields, so that you'll have it exactly as you want it? You must direct this picture yourself. To direct a picture, a man needs humility. Do you have humility,
1: Mr. Shields? It's such a fantastic moment in the film when the director asks Shields if he has humility. Because obviously he doesn't. And as the film goes towards its very climax, we learn that even though his career is in shambles and he feels like he's lost everything, the humility that he supposedly shows to get these three characters whose lives he ruined back into his game, back into his manipulative web is all just for show. It is all self-serving. Which is something very interesting about this anti-hero story. The ambiguous ending of whether or not he's learned his lesson after all these years. Now, after watching this film and hearing Scorsese talk about it, there is something he mentions towards the end of his discussion about this picture that's really fascinating. His metaphor for film as an addiction, the desire to seek more, to talk about it more, to absorb more is very relevant with someone like me who spends all week watching movies and talking about movies and sharing his love for movies with people who I haven't even met.
0: Film is a disease, Frank Capra said. When it infects your bloodstream, it takes over as the number one hormone. It plays Iago to your psyche. As with heroin, the antidote to film is more film.
1: So this first film on my personal journey with Martin Scorsese was an excellent introduction to what I have coming for you. A film about film, so to speak. A film about the process. A film about the industry and the manipulation behind it. The irony that something that brings us so much joy often has people going through miserable situations to bring it to me. Now currently, Bad and the Beautiful is playing on HBO, but you can also rent it on pretty much any other platform. It was a pleasure re-watching this, and I would say if you haven't seen it, it's a great first-time watch, especially knowing that filmmakers like Scorsese, as well as many others, consider it something of a cautionary tale and a playbook for filmmaking from the director, actor, and writer point of view. So like I said, I highly suggest this film. So the next film on the list for my personal journey with Martin Scorsese will be on October 17th and the film is Duel in the Sun, 1946, directed by King Vidor. Thank you for listening to this insight on this film and Martin Scorsese's personal view on it and be sure to join me on the next episode. My name is Antonio Palacios. Please like, review, rate this show, as well as my other show, The Cult Worthy Podcast. Be sure to stop at Cultworthy.com for insights on past, present, and future episodes. Thank you for joining us.